What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Today, we're talking with Erica Perkins Jasper, a leader in intercollegiate tennis, a successful Division I head coach, and a distinguished student athlete who is now entering her third year as the Director of Athletics at Claremont Mud Scripps. In this episode, Dave and Erica chat about the pathway from student athlete to head coach and from a head coach to Director of Athletics. In this interview, you will learn more about how you as a coach can improve your relationships with athletics administration and what athletic directors are looking for in a coach. Off to you, Dave. Eric, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Thank you, Dave. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you as always. And it's been good to uh, connect with you several times over the last two years. Obviously, uh, I'm filling some of the roles that you were filling here at, at the ITA. Uh, it's probably a distant memory for you now, but hopefully all, all fond memories of the ITA with uh, some, some years removed from it. But really interested, you know, your, your background is so varied. You've devoted so much of your professional life to the sport of tennis in many different areas. And can you bring our listeners maybe up to speed with starting with your career as a college tennis player at Washington State all the way through to where you are now as the AD at CMS? Sure. So um, I played college tennis, as you said, at Washington State University back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, And thought I was going to be a lawyer. Um, So we see how that turned out. But when I was two years in, so I played two years of college tennis in my junior year, um, I had a wrist injury that ended up putting me out about 11 months. And I was off the court. And my college coach at the time, Carrie Gross, she kind of gave me the opportunity to be the third coach on court at practice and at home matches and kind of had that realization and the aha, like, oh, you could do this as a job. And that would seem fun, which is like such a naive statement to think about now. But that's really what piqued my interest. Um, And because I had the injury and got a medical hardship waiver from the NCAA, I actually was able to stay at Washington State for my fifth year and work on my master's and kind of transitioned nicely into coaching. Um, So I finished playing and like many people didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I had an idea that I wanted to be a coach and was perusing the internet back when I think it was still dial up internet Mm -hmm. um, and saw a coaching position that was listed as a GA position. And I had my last two grad classes. So I just kind of blindly applied for it, not even realizing the time that it was a division one head coaching job. So my I, and I got the job. So I was technically a graduate assistant, but a division one head coach uh, at Georgia Southern University. So probably two months after I finished playing. So I definitely fell into the profession, but fell in love with it. Um, I always really enjoyed the the team aspect of college tennis. I think like anyone who transitions from junior tennis to um, college tennis, you love the team aspect and the team matches. From a coaching perspective, I loved being able to kind of afford my student athletes the experience that I had had. I felt like I learned a lot of lessons. And now that I'm even much older than that, I realize I did learn a lot of lessons from my college tennis experience. So I was in college coaching for about six years. I did two years at Georgia Southern as the head coach and realized that to move up in in the college coaching world, that being a higher level assistant coach um, was probably the best step. So went to go be Kevin Epley's assistant at the College of William and Mary and was fortunate to work for him and learn a lot about really the sport of tennis and really how to coach. Um, Cause like most coaches, 
I just coached kind of the way I was coached and by instinct my first couple of years. Um, so working Kevin was incredible and got to work with some awesome tennis players. We had good teams at the time. And then I was named the head coach at Michigan State. And in a lot of ways, at that time, I thought it was the world's perfect job for me. Michigan State, there's a lot of similarities to to Washington State. Um, And I loved my sports supervisor. And it's a very cool college town. I had an awesome team. And I was, I was kind of rocking and rolling and starting to turn around the program there when I was given a really interesting opportunity to go work for USTA player development. And um, so I ended up taking that opportunity because there was always a voice the entire time I was coaching of, did I really want to be on a tennis court? Say when I was, I think I used to say 40, which I'm 42 now. And when I said 40 I, I back then. For some reason, <laughs> what is it about 40? I said I'd always coach till I was 40. I guess right? 25, 40 seems really old. Yeah. So. And so I was like, oh, do I want to be doing that when I was 40? So I... um. I knew that maybe I wanted to dabble a little bit in administration. And I also knew that as a fairly young female in college athletics and in sports, when you're offered an opportunity to kind of move up the chain, you probably should say yes and figure out the details later. So um, took a job working for Tim and Corwin um, in USA Player Development. And essentially, I think my title was manager of junior and collegiate competition, But essentially, I oversaw the collegiate tennis programming. The cool part was, is there really wasn't much programming when I got there. And Timon gave me the green light as kind of a former coach and former player to augment the existing programming, come up with ideas for new programming. So I was 20, how old was I? 29, 30 at the time. So got to just run with things, made some really great connections. Um, and it was an incredible experience. And I think I learned, oh, I, I could be an administrator and find it rewarding. But, you know, like we all do as we grow up, um, during that time, I also got married, had my first son. Um, really, the pull to be back on a college campus had become pretty strong. And as you can tell by my, you know, my description of my coaching experience, I was really lucky in that I got you know, offered a better job each time as I as I was moving through. But I never really got to finish what I started. I got to Georgia Southern, and we started to get better, and I got another job. And then you know, I was only at William Mary for two years, and we were really just starting to. Um, I don't know, see the fruits of our labor and see how Kevin's philosophy was going to change that program. And I took Michigan State and and same thing. So there was this pull to be back on a campus. I think deep down, I wondered if I could still be if I was a good tennis coach, because I didn't know. So had the opportunity to go back into college coaching at the University of New Mexico, which was the right direction in the country. I'm originally from the West Coast. So New Mexico was moving in the correct direction. So took that gamble. But knowing at that point that the long term goal was still to to be an administrator and probably on a college campus. And so Mm -hmm. In some ways, I probably got to fulfill my dream at New Mexico. And I think we did battle a couple of times when I was there Mm -hmm. and was lucky enough to kind of do the worst to first in the Mountain West. And we literally lost the play-in match my first year there. I think we lost the eighth, ninth, which is a horrible feeling, to winning the conference the third year um, that we were there. And at the same time, right around then, I was offered um, the CEO position, which you now have at the ITA. and um, while it was off a college campus, knew that getting that opportunity to lead in college tennis was probably a once in a lifetime opportunity. So um, if you can tell the theme is I said yes to a lot of things and 
Yeah. Figured out a lot of the details later, including dragging a husband and two children a little bit around the country um, and spent four years in that role. And really that experience is probably what led me here. Um, as you know, probably one of the best things about working at the ITA is you get to work across all divisions and intersect not only with coaches, but with administrators and folks at the USTA, at the NCAA, NAI, and JCA. And I got a real feel for, I think, the overall college sports landscape. And while I won't talk poorly about Division One, I, I will just say that I became more and more enamored with um, Division Three and the Division Three philosophy and really what we have to afford to the student-athlete. And as you're aware, CMS has had amazing tennis programs for a long time. Um, so when the position opened, uh, I figured I would throw my hat in the ring and the rest is history. I think sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And I was lucky in this chan- in in this experience that I got the chance to be the athletic director here. So it was a long-winded explanation, nope. but... <laughs> well, it, it sets the table for the rest of my questions. So there we go. that's very helpful. And... Uh, yeah, you know, looky, good, hardworking, uh, network well, all the rest of it. There's, there's, uh, there's a reason why you're, you've been able to garner all those positions through, through the years and excited to see where, where you go from here. Hopefully many years at CMS, but, uh, maybe there's some future changes ahead of you as well. So we'll watch this space, but I'm really interested to go back. You know, you left Michigan State, you went to USDA, uh, you're working in the high performance kind of office development office. And what were some lessons that you learned during that time that when you went to New Mexico that you applied kind of right out of the gates? Yeah, so I think everybody should be afforded the opportunity that I had. I essentially was given the opportunity to work with the best coaches in the country. And so this was college coaches on the men's and women's side across all divisions. I got to watch our national coaches work with athletes. I occasionally got to partner with them and help with camps or, you know, traveling with junior teams when we started to play the collegiate teams. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did a lot of watching, observing, asking questions. Um, You know, when you're working in a national governing body, all of a sudden you have access just to um, a lot more people. And I think I took advantage of that and it gave me a time to reflect. I, I referenced it earlier, but a lot of my coaching was on instinct and it was maybe how I thought a coach should be or how I was coached. Um, and what I what I realized when I was working at the USTA was the coaches that I really respected and admired were very true to themselves. Um, and they also made it about the student athletes. And that's something that really resonated with me. And so when I was able to go back into coaching, I would say I had a much clearer coaching philosophy um, overall. And I also think it was very true to who I was. Um, so as a young coach, and you and I were coming up at coaching around the same time, you know, when you're young in your 20s and coaching, I think sometimes you try too hard to be in charge and to earn everybody's respect. And I think I came back in with a lot more confidence to be myself and to connect with the athletes and know that at the end of the day, 
that it was going to work. I, that sounds really <laughs> interesting, but that was that was what I I kind of walked away from. Yeah, I've, I'm five years removed now from being a college coach, and I often get the question: If I ever did go back to coaching, you know, what would I do differently, and why? And so now that you're an athletic director you have a much broader perspective of where tennis fits in an athletic department in the collegiate landscape. And so if you were to go back to coaching tomorrow, how might you view your job as a college tennis coach differently? Would you? What are some things that you do differently if you went back to it tomorrow or next week? I think because I had that interesting break already, I don't think there would be much that I would personally change because I changed a lot. I mean, we can, I coached some awesome women <laughs> at the three schools that I coached at before I worked at the USTA, but all of them would tell you that at best I was probably an average to above average coach. <laughs> and my student athletes in New Mexico got a better version of me as a coach. I do think from sitting in this seat for the last two years and, and maybe some of the perspective of the pandemic um, and, and some of the conversations about Olympic sports, particularly at the division one level, um, I would probably try to be an even more vocal leader um, in the tennis space. Cause I think I always did a fairly good job of that. Um, when I was at New Mexico, I was on the regional committees. I was the regional chair. I served on the operating committee. I think even David Benjamin convinced me to be on the board at some point. I always knew you needed to give back, but I might be a little bit more vocal in maybe engaging my peers to do the same thing. Um, sometimes I think tennis, because we can do so much and we tend to like to be lone wolves on our campus, um, we're not always thinking about ways to give back. And so encouraging other coaches in that space to do that would probably be something that I would try to, to be better at. And just in regards to now the, the world that you're in and your peers, athletic directors at, at other uh, institutions, and when you have conversations with them, you know, and they hear about your background as a tennis coach and things like that, what are some of their viewpoints uh, around tennis and tennis coaches? And are there any complaints or worries or concerns about how tennis operates, how tennis coaches operate or anything along those lines? Yeah, you know, that's been a surprise. You know, when I was a true tennis person, like I kind of felt like, you know, whether I was working with folks from the NCAA or sometimes somebody on a college campus, they'd be like, oh, you tennis people. But I just really thought they were giving me personally a hard time. I'm not sure sometimes that tennis and tennis coaches have the best reputation. And in good news, I think I can serve in a cool role for the sport in that I can maybe do some background at explaining uh, as to the whys of certain things. But, you know, I, I think sometimes there's some frustration with the college tennis season where, okay, so it's this individual stuff in the fall and it's long and it's expensive. And why are my coaches taking players to a pro tournament? And why are they only taking two players to this one? And they're playing nine events and, and all of that. And it doesn't count towards the conference championship. And that's what we care about. I hear a lot of that. I also get a lot of uh, why do tennis coaches think they're so special? 
Um, and one of the amazing things, right? And this is hard because you and I, you know, I think we've lived it. One of the things that, you know, David Benjamin and I think um, myself, you and Tim under his leadership, we did some really cool things as a sport and as an organization with the ITA where um, whether it was special rules that are only for tennis or whatnot. And so as a tennis person, I always thought that was amazing, right? Like the $10,000 rule would be an example. I mean, I worked on the legislative part of that when I was at the USTA. I never realized how that feels to a compliance person or an AD where it's like, why do you have all these special rules? And mm. so I don't know what the answer is, but I think some awareness maybe that the coaches should realize that sometimes your administrator is thinking that. And sometimes when you're asking for something that's really different from every sport um, to maybe pause it and just think about the big picture on that. Because the one thing now sitting in this seat is to break to all the tennis people is that we think we're special, right? I always thought I was super special and I'm a tennis coach and this is this. All the other coaches of all the other sports also think they're special. <laughs> and as the athletic director, they all are special, right? Um, but there needs to be some form of equity in the department. And I will say that I really value our coaches here who willingly put the department first. And am I fortunate that I have two tennis coaches who do that? Yeah, but that's huge for an athletic director is um, do you have coaches who are going to put the department first sometimes? And can their team goals align and give back to the departmental goals? Mm. Can you maybe give an example of that, Erica, like where a coach could or a situation where a coach could put their department first? I think it's just being cognizant of prioritization, right? So if the priority at your institution is to win or be successful at the conference level, um, and possibly advance to the NCAA championships, let's be super mindful about flinging individuals around the country in the fall, um, especially ones, you know, it's one thing if you've got somebody who's top five in the country and that's necessary for their development, right? But think about the funds that you're spending um, and realizing that they're departmental funds often donated by boosters or, um, you know, if you're at a state institution, that's state monies. And, and I think just just always thinking about maybe what the goals of the department are. Um, and you never want to shortchange your student athletes, but the mindfulness with some of those decisions, I think is huge. I also think just overall presence within your department. I've been places where coaches are uber present, the first to volunteer for certain activities, um, at everyone else's games, matches, etc. And there's some coaches who don't do that. And everybody's got their own personal, um, you know, your own personal life that impacts some of those choices. But I think thinking about the department and how you maybe are present too. Uh, is important as well. Yeah, no, that's great for coaches to hear. And so when you're hiring coaches now, re regardless of the sport, not just tennis, what traits do you hope they exhibit and how can they maybe demonstrate those characteristics or those traits before the interview, during the interview, and then even afterwards? Yeah, um, this will sound like the typical answer, but I do think somebody's communication skills are super, super important. So I think being a strong communicator and responsive and remembering that being a strong communicator doesn't mean 
talking or writing the most or, or anything like that, but it's being concise and professional. Um, those things are exceptionally important for me personally. Um, I love coaches who are student athlete focused. So even the language that coaches use, like, are they using I, or are they using we, like those are things that, that I notice in an interview process. Work ethic is something you can't really determine right in an interview. Um, but in speaking to your references or more so in the world of college athletics, right? There's a lot of not on the reference list references, realizing that most athletic directors know someone who knows someone who knows you, right? And is going to do their homework on that end. Um, those are some of the things I try to look at. You know, I've become less focused on how polished someone's interview answers might be because I think everybody, you know, traditional interviews, I think have some limitations, but um, looking at the content of those and, you know, does their content match with the philosophy of our department or maybe what I envision could be the philosophy for the specific program or things that I think, you know, that I'm always thinking about. What mistakes do, do coaches make when going through this process? So there is such a thing as too much communication. Um, and that's been the one thing. So I've done three head coaching searches since I've been here. And there's been some forceful, I am the person for this job. Um, there was someone for a job who I believe had 12 different people call me on their behalf. And wow. It's too much. <laughs> so I think being really, really tactful with your communication and not just asking somebody to call on your behalf because you've met them once, right? Or that, you know, actually picking one person who has a connection to that institution or that ID is going to be a lot more meaningful. Um, so just, I know that it's super stressful when you, when you see a job or you really want a job or you think you might be the right person for that. But I think, um, realizing that there is sometimes too much. Yeah. Is there any other mistakes that you've seen that uh, really have stood out to you or, uh, you know, especially, you know, you've gone through various um, interviews, you know, for, for college coaching positions through the years, maybe what are some of the things that you think you did well and what are some mistakes that you maybe saw some of your your peers making, fellow assistant coaches making when they were interviewing for jobs? Yeah, you know, um, I will say the one, and I've already kind of mentioned it, but I get the reverse of it now, is, is there's a lot, I get a lot of calls and emails from people that I actually don't, like I may have met them and talked to them at certain events or know of them and, and like the person, but there's a lot of asks for me to call or email on their behalf. And I would just say, be exceptionally careful with who you're asking to do that. Um, Cause in my case, if I don't know you that well, like one, I'll be pretty honest and be like, you know, Hey, I don't know you that well, or, Hey, you're one of eight people who's asked me to call this AD about this. And I'm happy to share what I know about you, but I don't know that much about you, your coaching philosophy, et cetera. Um, so that's kind of one thing is, is the mass attack in the process? Well, I think it works for some people and at some places, I, I'm not sure it's a great long-term solution for finding the right fit on either end. Some other things that I've seen in the job search process is, um, you know, I think 
when perspective uh, coaches are interviewing, maybe not asking enough questions. So not coming prepared with questions, not being prepared for the interview, you know, it, Preparing for an interview is exceptionally stressful and you know you're going to get nervous. Um, it never bothers me, even if someone brings out notes to ask questions, um, if it's an in-person or even on Zoom. Um, I would just say be relentless with with your homework. You know, I would hope if you're coming to interview here and I'm a person you're going to meet with that you maybe know at least that I coach tennis or played tennis or, you know, mm-hmm. um, those kind of things. Or, you know, you, you know what conference the school you know, the school is in just, I know that seems really kind of trite, but I, no, those are <laughs> important. Those yeah. are important things. And, you know, having great questions, you know, asking the athletic director, what's their vision for the program or, you know, asking what the competitive goals are for the department. What is the department philosophy? If you can't find it online, like those are great, questions um, to ask. And it also just shows how much you care about the position that you're interviewing for. Mm -hmm. And so what is some advice you'd give coaches around how to develop their resume further beyond just the the wins and losses that they're having as a college coach, say as an assistant coach, uh, and hoping that will beef their resume up to a point where an AD will take interest in? Are there things outside of the, say, X's and O's of coaching tennis that they can be doing to uh, further their resume and further their career if that's what they want to do. Yeah. I mean, so I think if you're an assistant, the more you can do in your department and on your campus um, is awesome. Like, mm-hmm. we had an assistant track and field coach here who helped out as one of the SAC advisors. Like, I always feel like athletic departments, well, 95% of us have less staff than we want to get the jobs done we need to get done. So if you're an assistant, is it helping with games management? Is it helping at the recreation desk? Is it working with SAC? Um, Is it going to the AD meeting? Are there any campus or department committees that I can be a part of? Because one, that's just excellent experience for becoming a head coach or if you want to be an administrator, whatever you want to do long term. But you also develop those personal connections with different people in the department and or on campus. And sometimes those are the folks who might be really impactful. We talked about someone picking up the phone and calling on your behalf. You know, maybe it's the softball coach whose best friend is the SWA at the, school, the next school you want a job at. And, you know, she loved serving on the diversity, equity, and inclusion committee with you and is willing to call that SWA. Yep. You know, I think those those experiences just help you become better and better connected on your campus. And it helps you be a better assistant. But it also, I think, builds it builds the resume and what you can write down. But it also, I think, builds your network of people and experiences that you can call on as you're navigating through things. Mm-hmm. And then what about professional development? We talked about your career to date, and you were very fortunate to work for Kevin Epley and and learned a lot there. You work in USDA, high performance. Are are there 
you know, professional development opportunities that you would encourage tennis coaches to engage with um, at any point of their career, really, just to make them a better coach or the things that you've seen in any of your roles uh, over the last few decades? Well, I mean, and Dave, I don't think you meant to set yourself up for the compliment, but I, I think what you're doing right now, these last two years at the ITA, all the different coaching education opportunities that you're affording these college coaches, I feel like college tennis coaches should take a, take advantage of them, especially because the price is right, right? <laughs> they're free Hello, and yeah. they're available, right? Yeah. Um, so that's the small stuff. But I also just think being willing to connect and socialize and talk to other coaches and ask questions. You know, the one thing I realized when I was working at player development was that most of these great coaches that I really looked up to, like they were willing to take my call. (laughs) They were actually willing to answer questions over a coffee or a beer and getting the confidence and the courage to, to do that helped me a ton. I'm a big fan of for female coaches, the NCAA Women Coaches Academy. I think they do an incredible job. I was fortunate enough to attend in 2006, I believe. Um, and We Coach has done an amazing job kind of taking over that programming and running with it still today. Actually, I think all of our female coaches, except for one here now, are, are WCA graduates. Um I think those opportunities are really cool because you're working um, with coaches across all sports. So for the tennis coaches, like gobble up the tennis specific content, but also gobble up the coaching content that is not sports specific. Because I think I've learned as much from coaches outside of the tennis world as um, as I have inside the tennis world. Like as I'm reflecting, I love college basketball. Um, it might actually beat out college tennis some days with how much I, right. I like watching it. And um, everywhere that I was at, um, my dad was a college basketball player. So we'll okay. blame him for that influence. Um, but I would go and watch basketball practice. I would just ask whoever the basketball coach was, oh, can I come sit in and, and watch practice? And no one ever said no. I mean, Tom Izzo didn't even say no at Michigan State, you know. Um, and, and it's like, you know, you're going to have really great experienced coaches everywhere you work. Um, I remember at New Mexico, the baseball program under Ray Birmingham had really come off a hot run. And I just got to spend some time talking to Ray about how he runs his program. And 80% of it, I probably could never shift to the women's tennis program. But that 20% that I could pull was huge and it was different. And it was something that I wasn't going to get from the tennis world. Okay. All right. Well, big question for you, Erica. So uh, being in administration, obviously now for, for several years, you know, all the red tape that's out there. I think when we get into these roles, we think we're going to be the one to make make the big difference in the tennis world and we're going to get everybody working together and on the same page and you know all these things are, are are you know can be tackled and tackled easily and then you get into it and you realize wow this is just you you're really just trying to inch things along and you're just trying to make them just 1% better 1% better and it's it's like moving a huge tanker ship but if you let's in a magical world you could just snap your fingers and make two or three changes as the czar of college tennis what would they be and why so is this my dream or my nightmare that i've become the czar of college tennis what is uh, it <laughs> yes a magical dream world that you're in, that uh, everything's coming true oh, so 
<laughs> and you really framed it nicely. Um, sometimes it's it's about incremental progress in the right direction. And sometimes too, it's about realizing that the path you're on isn't the right one and, and maybe shifting as well. Um, I don't know what the exact answer is, but I do feel like there needs to be a way to continue to put more emphasis on the dual match season. As I reflect on my experience as a student athlete, as a coach, and now sitting in my seat and, you know, we have two of the best division three programs in the country here at CMS, what everybody remembers from their college tennis experience other than you know the van rides and singing at the top of your lungs you know those kind of things you remember the dual matches right Mm -hmm. and somehow i i just don't think we've found the way to put that emphasis there sometimes um and some of it has been the distraction particularly at the division one level maybe with Pro events and whatnot, but um, any way we could center more on that, mm-hmm. I think could be magical. Again, I, <laughs> that That's might need just the magic wand because I don't know what the steps are. I also think having, I actually don't care about specifics of format because <laughs> I don't want to relive any format discussion. <laughs> um, I do think having a unified format across all divisions would be nice. Mm-hmm. I do think the feel is a little bit weird um, that say here at Division Three we have a different scoring format than Division One and Division Two and some of the other divisions. Um, and I think sometimes for the athletes, that separation, while not a huge deal, because at the end of the day, tennis is tennis, and if you're good, you're good. Like the better player is going to win whether we play. Yep. two out of three tiebreakers or two out of three, right? Like the odds are, are in favor of the better player winning. But um, I think I would like to see everybody playing the same format. Um, and yeah, emphasis on the dual match season. Okay, cool. Well, do you like, I gave you no hows uh, <laughs> to do well, that. <laughs> so this is a magical mystical world where we could just snap our fingers and make these things happen. And, and uh yeah, that that's the thing. It's it's uh, like so when you're sitting in these seats, you you just see how complex that world is, and um, you know people say, "Well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that?" And it's it's we wish it was that easy. We really wish we could get to all these things. And like you said, even within your athletic department, you have more you know jobs that need to be done than people able to actually. F- do those jobs. And uh, I think that's the case in, in many sporting organizations, um, other than, you know, a handful that that uh, have unlimited resources. Most sporting organizations do not have that in most parts of the world. And so we, we won't spend too much time dwelling on that. But we're all trying our best in good faith. So go easy. Well, on and I mean, just to piggyback on that, and I don't know if you interact with this group as well. But, you know, for the tennis coaches who take the time to listen to me and Dave. I I do think it it should be said, and you'll never give yourself credit, nor would Tim or Corey or the rest of the ITA team, but the amount of work that I think the staff of the ITA does on behalf of the coaches, and comparatively, when you look at um, other coaches associations, like the ITA really is a leader in in the volume of things uh, that you all are involved in. And um, I think 
you know, it's probably a great reminder for the coaches to hear from me now that I'm not sitting in that seat that um, it is pretty special to have um, a group of people working that hard on their behalf. So yeah. shout out to all of you. You're a great crew. Yeah. Thank you, Erica. No, it's, it's, it's an absolute pleasure, but it is, yeah, there's just never enough time. You could give me a hundred hours a day, you know, it's just not going to get to everything, but we're, we're working as hard as, as life will allow. Um, but into some rapid fire questions. So what's okay. maybe a piece of advice you received from anyone in your life? It doesn't have to be tennis related. When I was deciding where to go to play college tennis and to go to college, yeah. I really wanted to go to University of Washington and they didn't offer me a scholarship and Washington State did. And my dad, who played tennis and basketball at the University of Washington, told me to go where you're wanted. Um, and I've used that piece of advice pretty much the rest of my life. And as I walk through my career path, I think sometimes it scares people with how often maybe I moved, especially early on. But I think that's really served me well in getting me a wide variety of experiences. Mm, very good. I love that. Um, is there a book, podcast, article, passage, poem that has influenced you in your journey? Yeah. You know, I really, I really have kind of an obsession with Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus. Mm, um, I've noticed that. And- <laughs> Never on I know but anyone I, who I, follows me on Twitter, they're like, yeah. do you just retweet their tweets? But yeah, they're, um, great. Oh, yeah, they're awesome. <laughs> um, but no, I, I read The Passion Paradox, um, mm-hmm. which Brad Stolberg wrote, and then obviously got into the work that he and Steve Magnus are, are doing. And I just think they're a really interesting combination. Um, they obviously experience coaching executives, but also pro level, college level, high school level coaches. And so um, if I have the chance to listen to a podcast or read a short article or even just read and retweet a tweet, it's going to be probably Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. No, good recommendations. And then was uh, there a go-to drill that you had as a college tennis coach? Like one drill that was just always in the back pocket. Ooh, that would be a good one to ask like some of my former players. I loved all the drills that probably the players like dreaded, but loved when they got done. Cause that's what I loved as a player. So working for Kevin Epley, I feel like I perfected the skill of creating like physical drills. Um, Craig O'Shaughnessy would hate it because we were like definitely well past the first four shots a lot of times. Um, So I love drills that incorporated making balls using like big targets well inside the court. Um, I love drills where you could create shape. Like, you know, the only way I knew how to create shape when I was, say, a player or a young coach is like the little string that you put up above the net. And so when I started working for Kevin and he's putting benches out on the courts and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. (laughs) So my poor players did a lot of drills with depth, with shape, with ball making, with targets, uh, a lot of two positions to one um, because, Yes. Are a lot of rallies in tennis less than 10 balls? Sure. But I think there's a a confidence um, boost that comes from always incorporating something fairly physical into your practice, particularly in coaching young women. I always found that. And so always tried to build something in. Um, And then 
I love competing. So anytime you can make to balance out the hard physical drill, you then need something that's fun and you keep score because you know what? There always are still winners and losers in a tennis match. Mm -hmm. And then, so tell me if you were to go sit down beside uh, Erica Perkins getting started at Georgia Southern um, that first week on the job, what, what would you go tell yourself? Oh, I would encourage myself to learn more earlier. So I think I was very satisfied to coach the way I was coached, um, which I actually don't think is exceptionally authentic to who I am. Um, although the way I was coached was really effective for me to get better as a player. And there's certain personality types who responded to that kind of <laughs> tough love and <laughs> really, um, you know, I, I don't think I made the connections with my players that I did later in my career. So I would really encourage myself to be a better coach to them by connecting with them more and not being afraid to connect with them. Because I think as a young coach, you're kind of told by everyone, like, don't get too friendly with them. They need to see you as a coach. And I think I, I bought into that too much. And that's probably one regret is that, you know, the teams I coached, I, I could have supported those players better at a personal level, but I was probably a little afraid to do that. Yeah, no, it's great advice. And I think it's a great place to, to leave it today. Erica, thank you so much. Thank you for all your, your service to tennis. You're still serving tennis as the chair of the USDA Collegiate uh, Pathway Committee, which is, is absolutely awesome. And we need people like you staying in the tennis industry. So thanks for your time today and look forward to seeing you in person, hopefully sooner rather than later. Thank you. Appreciate it, Dave. Thanks for listening to the College Tennis Coaches Podcast with your host, Dave Mullins. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Erica. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe. And as always, you can head over to itatennis.com to listen to more episodes as well as check out all the resources available for coaches. That's all, folks. We look forward to next time.